you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Chase Woodhouse, and I'm one of the church planting residents here at Sojourn Houston. Uh, It's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, Merry Christmas. It's awesome we finally get to say that. Um, This morning we are gathering together to wrap up this Advent season and to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Throughout this past month, hopefully you've taken some time uh, in Advent to stop and reflect on the brokenness of this world and the brokenness in our hearts. I know that when I thought about the brokenness in this world, especially in light of yesterday, as I know some people in here were probably unable to be with family as we gather together to celebrate Jesus because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We feel the brokenness in this world, too, when maybe some of you have lost your jobs or are concerned about losing your jobs. Maybe some of you have, are celebrating Christmas for the first time this year without a beloved family member. Or maybe this is another Christmas where that beloved family member is not here and it feels hard. And maybe if you're like me, this Advent season, you were more keenly aware of your own brokenness. I know for me, this season, for some reason, was wrought with anxiety. This anxiety kept coming up and up and it was a battle to trust in the Lord. And so maybe this season of Advent, you felt the weight of your own brokenness. Maybe you don't struggle with anxiety, but maybe you have said some things to family members or friends that you are now paying for. Maybe you have an addiction that's a struggle to let go of. In this Advent season, we take time to reflect on the brokenness of this world and the brokenness in our hearts so that on Christmas morning, we can celebrate with a thrill of hope for the weary world rejoices. Because just like the shepherds heard from the angels, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This was the good news that we celebrated yesterday, even in the pain, even in the suffering, even in the heartache. We celebrated that our Savior was born for you. It's personalized. He came for you. And I think that's very important for us to remember as we dive into this text this morning, this text that shows us the answer to two questions. What child is this? Right? This question that we sing about, what child is this laid to rest on Mary's lap sleeping? But it will also show us what this child would do and how he would be the Savior of the world. And so this morning, we are gathering together to celebrate and to answer these two questions. And let's begin by diving into the context of this text. Okay, so this is only 40 days after the birth of Jesus. So little baby Jesus, 40 days old, is making the trek from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to come to the temple. That's about a five-mile journey. If any of you have had little kids especially 40 days old, think about traveling five miles without a car, or maybe with a car, it's not easy. But they make the trek to Jerusalem because Mary and Joseph are going so that Mary can offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. 
You see, for 40 days after the birth of a son, the woman was considered unclean. And so she would have to go to the temple to offer a sacrifice in order to be cleansed. And normally, this, this sacrifice would be a lamb. It was written down in the Old Testament law that to be cleansed, you would have to sacrifice a lamb. But if you were not able to afford a lamb, you were allowed to offer a cheaper sacrifice. And so when Mary and Joseph come and they offer, what does it say here? Two, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Luke is showing us that Jesus is not in a wealthy family, but in a family that's struggling. And so Jesus, sorry, Mary comes and she offers this sacrifice and she's walking into the temple carrying this baby with her husband, probably a hustle and bustle going on. And in this scene, there's a random, obscure man and a random, obscure woman who come up and declare that this is the Messiah. And what I want to note about, take a little bit of time just to look at Simeon and Anna. We really know nothing about them. Most likely, they're both older. Uh, Simeon talked about here as he prophesied, he said, now I can depart, now I can leave this world, Lord. And Anna, we know, was was probably in the 90s or 80s. And so both of them are older, probably not in something like the Pharisees or the priesthood, especially not Anna, she's a woman, but likely just random, obscure people that come up and they take the baby and say, this is the Messiah. But what we do know about Simeon and Anna is something that I think is important for us to uh, um, shoot for, to to aim for in our life. What we know about them is that they are devoted to the Lord. They are righteous. That's their legacy. Their legacy is not that they have a nice house and built a big business and were able to pass it down to their children. Their legacy is not that they have uh, acquired X, Y, Z. It is that they are devoted to the Lord. And that's something I think we should all push for and strive for. And the way that we do that is not trying to be this awesome person, but rather to submit our lives on a daily basis to Jesus. So that when our funeral happens and people come to the funeral, what they can say is, this person was devoted to the Lord. May that be our legacy, just like Simeon and Anna. But Simeon and Anna, they take this baby and they say, this is the Christ. And it's important that there's two of them. It's important because when you, when you bring a word from the Lord, it needs to be confirmed according to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it talks about how when a criminal, for example, when a crime happens, there needs to be two witnesses in order to convict that criminal. And then Jesus in the New Testament, he talks to the Pharisees and he says, look, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, where's the other witness? You're, you're prophesying about yourself, but where's the other witness? And he says, John the Baptist was this witness. And even if it wasn't John the Baptist, my father declares to all people who I am. And so what we see is that this was required in order for it to be confirmed, that there would be two people prophesying. And so what Luke is doing here in the two chapters is he is showing us in many different ways that this is the Messiah. 
the angel come to Elizabeth and tell her that she's going to get pregnant and John the Baptist would be the prophet that makes the way for the Lord. The angel comes to Mary and tells Mary that she will give birth to the Messiah. The angels come to the shepherds and say, for unto you this day is born the Savior. And then here the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon and Anna that the Messiah was coming. And what he says, Simeon says specifically, and Anna confirms is so wonderful. What he says is, in, in my translation, it says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Don't let this be lost on us, because we hear it all the time, and we sing about it all the time. It is amazing that God would send salvation to his people. It is stunning that the God of the universe, knowing that we have rebelled against him, would not send judgment to his people, would not wipe us out and begin again, but rather would send salvation. Especially in this context where they're still kind of wrestling with what is the Messiah going to do? Who is he going to be? Simeon and Anna declare to the people in the temple, this is the Messiah, the salvation. And not just for the people of Israel, but he will be a light for the Gentiles. And I think this is important for us to remember. This child is the salvation of all who come to him. But not only that, this child will also die. And he will be a sign that will be opposed. Which is really interesting that he will be a sign that will be opposed. Because when you think about a sign from the Lord, you think that it would be received well by the people of God. But here Simeon says, see if I can find it, indeed this child is destined to fall, cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. It's strange. The salvation of God will be something that is opposed. A sign that will not be accepted. A sign that will be rejected by some and accepted by some. This is a warning for us here. Jesus is the salvation for all, but he can be rejected. And if you miss it, there is judgment. But it also reminds me of the Exodus a time where the Lord offers ten clear signs that he is God, that he is Yahweh, where he sends ten very obvious signs that he is greater than all the gods in Egypt. And yet, what we see in the tenth sign is that the people of God heeded the word of the Lord and sacrificed the lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over the firstborn sons. But the Egyptians didn't. They did not heed the signs. They rejected it. And this is a warning for us today. We can reject the sign and salvation of God. But with this Exodus theme, I want us to go back to the beginning. Because what we're seeing in this text is that we know that this is the Messiah. But what I think Mary and Joseph don't see yet 
but we do on this side of history is that in this text, we will see what will this child do. Not just who is the Messiah, but we see what will this child do. And you see it here at the very beginning, where Jesus is offered up to the Lord and set apart to be holy unto the Lord. What, this, what we need to do in order to understand this is go back to the Old Testament and continue on with the Exodus. After the people of Israel are finally set free, in Exodus 13, we see the Lord tell the people, when you get into the promised land, I want you to offer up to me as a sacrifice all the firstborn sons, both of animal and of a woman. And so the firstborn son of a lamb, for example, would be sacrificed unto the Lord. But if there was a firstborn animal of, let's say, a donkey, an unclean animal, that animal would not be sacrificed unto the Lord, for it was an unclean animal that could not be sacrificed. And so there would be a substitute. They would offer, let's say, a lamb as a substitute for this firstborn male donkey. And then lastly, they were told to offer up their firstborn sons unto the Lord as a sacrifice. Now, the Lord makes it very clear, too, that they aren't to actually sacrifice their children. Which, again, don't skip over that as like, yeah, duh. Because back in this time, the sacrifice of children to a god was very common. But this is not what the Lord wanted. But he did want them to offer up this child as a sacrifice. And then what the parents would do is they would redeem this child. They would buy the child back. They would pay five shekels, and they would get their son back. And the question, of course, that's probably screaming in all of our minds, as I know it did for me, is um, why? Right? Why should the people of God offer this sacrifice? And, and the Lord explains it in Exodus 13, and here's what he says. And when in, time, when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. But all the firstborns of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hands or frontlet between your eyes, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So why did this sacrifice happen? It was a sacrifice of worship. It was a sacrifice of remembrance. It was a sacrifice that would allow the parents to pass down to their children the truth that God had delivered them. He had brought them out of Egypt. So every time they were to offer a firstborn animal or son, it was to remember what the Lord has done. And so Mary and Joseph are coming to offer Jesus up to the Lord, to set him apart as holy. And I want to focus on that right now. Because what Mary and Joseph don't realize is that they are offering up to the Lord what the Lord has already set apart as holy and sent to us. They are offering Jesus as holy to the Lord to be used by God and what they don't realize is that God has offered Jesus and set him apart and sent him to us. He is the true anointed firstborn son. 
And he comes and is sent by the Father to deliver us out of Egypt. He comes to lead us in a greater exodus. And just so you don't think that this is something that the Father made Jesus do, remember that Jesus says that he willingly lays down his life. He is not forced to lay down his life. But before creation began, the Father and the Son and the Spirit together agreed that Jesus would come in the flesh to deliver people. And it's the Father's good pleasure to send the Son and to set him apart. And it's the Son's good pleasure to come and to do what the Father has told him to do. And it's the Holy Spirit's good pleasure to proclaim to all that this is the Christ. When Mary and Joseph come and they offer Jesus up and they say, here, this child is yours, the Lord says, yes, I sent him. Here he is for you. So he is the true firstborn anointed son of God. But not just that, this son would be offered as a sacrifice. May and Joseph were not going to kill Jesus. But it was symbolic of a sacrifice. And what they don't know is that this baby that they are offering as a sacrifice, the Father sent to be the sacrifice, to be the Passover lamb, whose blood would not be on our doors but on our hearts and would lead us in triumphal procession out of Egypt. It is through his sacrifice that we are set free. And what are we set free from? Well, we're set free from our sin that I talked about earlier. During this Advent season, we had the opportunity to stop and reflect on our brokenness, to remember that we are sinful, and then to remember that our Savior was born to be that sacrifice to take away our sins. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus was born to die. We can't celebrate the manger without also remembering the cross. He was born to die so that we might be set free. But remember, too, that Mary and Joseph, when they offered Jesus up, they did not kill him. They did not leave him there, but rather redeemed him through a purchase and got him back. This is also a loud proclamation of what God would do. For God would not let his Holy One see decay. This sacrifice, when Jesus died, he would not let the Holy One see decay. He would redeem him from the grave. He would cause him to be raised from the dead. And then he would ascend on high and sit at the right hand of God. And when he rose from the dead, the cross purchased our freedom and the resurrection gave it to us. When Jesus rose from the dead, he led us out of Egypt. And right now, friends, we're in the wilderness, wandering, following Jesus as he is leading us in triumphal procession into the promised land. And so now, if you give your life to Jesus, you also are redeemed. You are bought back from the land of sin and slavery. And we have the opportunity today to do that. Maybe there are some in here who have not given their life to Jesus. Maybe there are some in here who have heard about this Jesus and understand that he's a good person, but now you're really realizing, wait, no, He is the best person, and he's come to be the sacrifice, and I need his sacrifice to cover my sins. We have the opportunity today to give our lives over to Jesus in faith 
And when we do this, he buys us back and leads us out of Egypt. But not only that, because this is the offering that we all have today, but for some of us in here, we are believers. And we see that this child is the Messiah, and we see that this child has come to die and to rise from the dead and to lead us out of Exodus. And so we ask ourselves, well, what are we to do now? And I'm here to tell you that there is a sacrifice that you are to offer. The New Testament tells you that you are to offer a sacrifice. But it's not your firstborn son, and it's not animals. Romans 12.1 says, I, I urge you in the mercy of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. And so today, as we come to the table and we declare that this child that was born is the Messiah who was anointed by God and set apart to die, rise from the dead, and lead us out of Egypt. When we come to the table to declare all of this today, we have the opportunity to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him, to be used by him for his glory and his renown and for the proclamation of this truth to all. Because this message, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, there are people who have not heard this. There are people who have never heard this message. And we have the responsibility, but the privilege of declaring this to all. But it begins by offering our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. And so as we come to the table this morning, and we celebrate that Christ was born, let's offer our lives today as a sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning and thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together to worship you, to glorify you. Father, I pray for the people here in this room that, that do not know you. Father, I pray that they would submit their lives to you. And Father, I pray for those of us in here who do know you. Father, we rejoice that you sent Jesus to be our sacrifice, to lead us out of Egypt. Father, I pray that you would help us to offer our lives to you today as a sacrifice and every day after. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather in your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.